0: Welcome to Archer Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals, and reviews of the latest gear and equipment, and much more. Today we're going to talk about uh, shooting uh, recurves and uh, why you might want to stay with it, or might you want to switch to a compound bow. Hi, my name is Rory Canterbury. I'm your host Stan at Arch Talk 101. And with us uh, today, we have John. Uh, welcome to the show, John.
1: Uh, thank you, good to be here.
0: So uh, tell us a little about, something about yourself.
1: Uh, I'm basically a pretty simple guy. I just started hunting probably about 15 years ago and it was all archery to start with. Um, I started out with a compound. And switched to recurve later. Now I'm kind of with nerve issues and as far as uh, health-wise and as far as my structural without having any type of pain. So I just kind of shoot a compound between the compound and crossbow. Now And two, um, I started, picked up a muzzleloader from last year, killed a couple deer with that. Uh, Just gives me something to give my – nerves in my back arrest from <laughs> pulling and I don't do a whole lot of practice when it's in during hunting season. So as far as shooting wise, I just test my equipment, make sure it's up where it needs to be. And it's hitting where I'm actually putting my pin or, or aiming, uh, if I was shooting a recurve, I definitely look it over, test, test my errors, make sure my broadheads were flying straight, sharp, stuff like that. Uh, so, uh, why did
0: you get started in archery?
1: uh i got started in archery uh it's something i always kind of wanted to do i just kind of started late uh kind of grew up in a basically poor family i was always uh involved in outdoors as far as fishing stuff like that uh i did a lot of fishing when i was coming up so uh one of the boys here the youngest boy which he's 22 now yeah 22 years old and uh he got started in a uh, middle school with uh, hunter safety and competitions they had. They had archery, skeet shooting all in on the same day, and I went with him there and helped him get ready, got him his first bow and all that. And uh, he had a bow here. It was an old Darton. Had the little smaller cams. That thing was a beast of a bow. Being at 60 pounds, it maxed out at 63. And – I started shooting fingers with it, with him out here in the yard. And after a little while, I started, I got, got a release on it. And my first deer, me and him was hunting that came by. I could, I couldn't even get the 60 pound bow back. I couldn't even figure it out. I got so excited. That thing felt like it was like 200 pounds. Couldn't even hardly pull it. And uh, I ended up missing the deer. Finally got the bow back and ended up missing the deer. And that's how I got started with one of the boys here
0: yeah that, that's always interesting how uh, everybody gets started. everybody has a different yeah. story and, and that's why I like to ask it because everybody's got a different story and, and it's like they're all interesting you know how how, how you got started in archery and um you know so so you've been shooting uh you know recurve for a while how how was how was that going? what, what was your kind of your typical oh, practice?
1: My, my typical practice after after a little bit it was kind of just random. Uh, some of the practice techniques I was doing, I was kind of, I know if I over, if I shoot too much, I create, I pick up bad habits fairly quick. And you're talking about that's hard to shake and it takes me months to clear that out. But right here toward the end of it, I guess last, last year I worked on just nothing but blank bail, just went back down to fundamentals and basics of form because not everybody's got the same build or same flexibility. You have to work around certain things, which my right. eyesight's not not the greatest, so I have to work around that. And uh, I started doing blank bail and started improving my form, and then I started shooting better, and I shot, didn't have to shoot every day. Uh, I'd probably shoot an error or two every day, but as far as my main practice, I would start at three yards, shoot, Two, or three arrows in a spot. If I hit them all in there, and I'll take a step back and work my way back, and keep uh, the distances in my mind that I hunted in pretty fresh in my mind. So, usually about twenty-five and end is about what I do as far as hunting distance. And twenty-five is worst-case scenario.
0: Yeah, with a recurve, you don't have quite the range that you will with a compound or a crossbow.
1: No, it depends on where you're at. Uh, I know south Cox, i mean him hunting out there in the midwest most guys hunting the midwest with, with uh, traditional equipment they may close the shot maybe 50 yards and they practice that i mean uh met uh randy Coolin, he he said he's got to have a minimum of 50 yards which he hunts more open areas than i would here in north carolina my average hunting distance uh, with a recurve a couple years ago was about eight yards I can literally see the deer's eyelashes when they come in that were that close
0: yeah that's because nice when you get them in close I've I've shot them and watched the hair change colors as the arrow you know cut through the light and go in and you know that you know that that's cool where you get you're that close to get them in there and you know that's what's nice about archery is because you have to get them in close especially especially like you know my eyesight's not quite as as good as it was before and you know i i don't see the pins as well as i did before and uh, so you know i'm kind of you know my max distance is going to be less than you know when i was 20 years younger when i could see those distances me with
1: with me shooting traditional it's made me a lot better hunter on shot selection uh, on the shots i want to take and I mean, last year I hunted with a compound, and just because of the nerve issues, and uh, shot two deer quartering away with with two different compounds I had set up, and uh, shot them both quartering away. One ran about thirty yards, another one dropped right there in front of me. So it's it shot selection is that's one thing a traditional has helped me with is taking better, having better shot selection, and putting the animal down faster so you don't have to track as long and some people get excited i've been there got excited and made bad shots and you stomping around through the woods trying to find a deer that that really is not dead it's just wounded
0: yeah and then they're just you know they heal up and then they're they're just gone and and you know other times it's like you you stop and you stop and you stop and it's like ah you finally find it it's like and it buried itself underneath the bushes
1: yes definitely you know yes. it, it crawled
0: in there and it's I, i've done that one time we, we looked and looked and looked as i shot there it was fairly close it run out 30 yards stood broadside to me so i leaned out used my safety belt to uh keep me from falling off my tree stand and shot another arrow and it run to the top of the hill and made a right turn in the bushes and and that's where it laid and we're walking out there. We can't find it. We look through the field on one side, look the field the other side. We come back and finally, you know, because we, we we lost the blood trail. We couldn't, couldn't find it anymore because we're last. So it just turned and we looked at it. Sure enough, there it was. You know, it, it, it took a, a right turn right into the bushes and that's where it went. And, you know, yeah, they, they
1: got a knack of laying down, getting going to heavy cover. That's the, the thing they feel the safest. They're going to get out in the safest place they can and, Usually that's about where they stop. As long as you ain't leaving the tree stand a little bit prematurely to go look, then you start pushing yeah. them, and you got to drive. And that's the thing about archery: you can only control the things you can, and other stuff you can't control. You just have to kind of leave it to itself.
0: Yeah, I, I had a couple of good hits on it, and, and we still waited, oh, like three four hours before we yeah. started. Um, you know, knowing that, you know, with archery, if you, if you push they' you're not going to, re- they're just going to run off and you'll, you'll never fight them.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially if, the uh, not quite so good a shot, I always try to go for double lungs. Usually they, for me, they fold up within 25 yards. They can't breathe. They ain't running far. They cover a lot of ground no. in those little few seconds, but if they can't breathe, they're going to just be done.
0: I like to catch the liver a little bit with it.
1: Yeah, on the quarter and away shots, uh, Like last year I looked at one, the one I shot that dropped. It actually caught the diaphragm liver, both lungs, and it went all the way to the front, come out at the bottom on the opposite shoulder. So it was a good shot. It dropped right there and clipped the spine on the way in with that type of shot. I mean, I went but 12 foot, 13 foot high. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you ain't got to be all that high. I used to hunt at about twenty three, twenty five feet. You got to be that high if you got good cover.
0: Yeah, and then if they come walking in real close, it's it's a real tough shot shooting almost straight down.
1: Yeah, the, I think the toughest shot I've had is I was twenty foot up and the deer was twenty yards, or not twenty yards, but ten yards, and that angles near about sixty seventy degree angle, clip both yeah. lungs. And that is one of the toughest shots that I've made. And that was with a compound I was sitting down. That was pretty
0: tough. Yeah, that makes kind of even a rough one because the angle you have to twist at yeah. in order to get down that far. You know, I yeah. see a lot of people do that, just drop their arm. It's like, well, no, that's not your form. Your form is here. You're bending yeah, it to waste, bending it to waist, And and that's yeah. why it's nice to have a safety belt on because now you can lean and depend on the belt.
1: Yeah. That's what I had I've to
0: do.
1: I was I've done that many back, times. <laughs> yeah, the deer was actually sideways. I was sideways to the deer, so I was able to tilt my body down to get the keep my triangle like it's supposed to be. And that's how I how I made that shot. I'd have been any other way, I wouldn't have made it. I'd probably end up shooting over the deer or under. Yeah, well, it's so, tough to
0: get those angles too, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. So that's why I hunt a little bit lower to the ground and find more cover to have around me. The more cover you have and the lower you are, the less that angle is going to be. And a lot more, probably a lot more successful most people will have
0: in finding their deer. Well, and you have too much of an angle, the exit hole is too low and it plugs up. And then you don't really get any any blood yeah. like you I would like normally. A,
1: on my exit, I like to have a lower exit uh, just because of the the blood. If it's higher up, it takes a little bit longer, and then you yeah. start getting effects. I'd much rather come out low and come out with both lungs. They're going to breathe out. They're going to have blood coming out their nose, mouth, and plus the side. So it gives you a lot more of a trail to follow. Yeah. If you had I, to go look, look for one.
0: I had one I was hunting, I was hunting in a snow cover. And I shot this doe, and I'm I'm looking at the footprints as it's, it's running, and the blood trail in the snow is about three or four feet to one side. It was like, here's the blood trail, but here's you know over here yeah. is where the trail the blood trail is, but here's where the footprints in the snow are at because there's no yeah. footprints over there. And so <laughs> I was able to just follow it right up to it. It only went like ten yards.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you
0: know, it's yeah. bleeding out that quick. It, it's not going to last long. <laughs>
1: No, it's shooting out pretty good. If it's blowing yeah. out that much, and yeah, you—that was really good shot. I mean, that's what I try to do: is is try to practice to where I'm putting my the animal down quickly and as quickly as possible. And that's the name of the game.
0: So how how is different because you've hunted with crossbow, um, mm-hmm. compound, and recurve. Now, uh, what's basically the difference between hunting with the different archery equipment? Well, with that
1: uh, recurve or traditional equipment, uh, you pay a lot more attention to detail. Sharp, broadheads. Uh, you want to. I try to when I tune arrows. I just want an arrow that will fly straight, not cocked, not you know, you know, doing all kind of different stuff. I want it to fly true as possible. With that, you learn tuning more in AeroFlight more so than you would somebody starting out in compound, because usually compounds and crossbows, crossbows, there ain't no tuning. You're just trying right. to get a broadhead just to fly as good as you can, most of them are going with mechanicals, and which is fine. They do the job, too, but you hear about a lot of failures. Uh, I mean, you have failures on uh, fixed blades, depending on how thick the thickness of the blades that you're using, but with recurve you're paying a lot more attention to detail and you're trying to get better air flight and quicker recoveries. So and you're going to shoot typically a heavier arrow. Typically I've I've seen guys shoot four hundred and sixty grains on a sixty something pound bow, you know, trying to figure out how come their bow ain't blowing up, you know, and that's each to his own how and that works for them. So I normally my last deer I killed with a recurve and I shot it with a 506 grain arrow. Shot it lengthways and it went slam through it. And that's with 46 pounds. It doesn't take a great deal of weight and that's that's one thing you'll learn is it doesn't take a great deal of weight. It's all about the weight of your arrow and how sharp your broadhead is and how tough it, if it can take the impact. And with a compound, there is some tuning. There's a lot more moving parts. So it's definitely from learning traditional, then you start paying attention to a lot more detail. If say, if you bumped the tree walking in and your sight ends up going off, you've shot at something, you totally missed it. Now you got to figure out which part that got moved, whether it's your side or your uh, rest. That's why I always check before I go. And the crossbows just, there ain't no jump. That deer ain't jumping no string. It ain't much animals going to be jumping it. I've got two of them here. One's running 400 foot a second straight out. So that deer, at least a little movement it makes, it's not even going to have enough time at 20 yards or 30 yards to even move. It's right. just going to hit them so hard and knock them, pretty much kill them, you know, a little bit. But. Uh, if a man wants to really be a better hunter, you know, archery is the way to do it, and, and actually hunting with traditional equipment will help you be a better hunter. Uh, get more up close and personal, you know, pay attention to details, and that's that's one thing—the difference between the three. It all takes some skill on the shooting end of it, but being able to to really tune your own stuff and sharpen your own broad heads and getting the fixed blade to fly is is a feat within itself, you know.
0: Yeah, especially, you know, the fixed blades, the faster the bow, the harder it is to get tuned yeah. to fly consistently. And, yeah, and so that's yeah. why a lot of them, you know, the faster bows go with mechanicals because they, they don't affect the uh, the flight as much. Yeah, um, But then when you now get I've into got... crossbows, you got to have one rated for a crossbow. Because yeah, a regular one for a compound, it's going to open them up, and then you lost yeah. the advantage of having them. So
1: I've actually got one that is rated for a compound. I've shot it on a crossbow, and it's never opened up on me. Oh
0: yeah,
1: I have a four hundred foot per second. I'm using a dead ringer.
0: Oh yeah,
1: and they stay yeah. pretty much pretty closed. And it's got a thicker, uh, thicker uh, rubber or band to hold oh, the blade okay. down. So that makes a big difference.
0: Yeah, uh, that makes a big difference. There's, yeah. there's, you know, some of the ones, you know, really not designed for that. You know, th- they're not going to be that strong. No, and, not. You know, and if you have it too strong, then your lower poundage bows won't open them. You know, no. especially when they hit. Which way
1: the bows now are nowadays in compound, even the lower poundage. I mean, yeah. I'm shooting 60 pounds on a compound. I'm looking to drop it another 5 pounds. Uh, I've got one bow set up in there at 56 and I shot a mechanical out of it and it opened up. So yeah. it,
0: it's Like I, mean, I said, what, more more shot placement than,
1: yes, it is. than anything else.
0: As long yeah. as it's razor sharp. You know, that's the biggest thing. Shot placement and a razor sharp brighthead.
1: And long as your arrows fly pretty decent yeah. and not flying not going all over the place you know being right spined is a key to about everything yeah
0: i know my my first year i was uh 20 feet up in the air it was 40 um yards away and i was shooting my bow uh, i was 52 pounds now i remember this is in the um you know probably the, the 70s mm-hmm. you know or, or early 80s you know, so they weren't, you know, no fast bow or anything. And I was shooting a full length 2117 arrow with 145 grain tip. And when I shot that deer turned around, my arrow was hanging almost all the way out. I think the fletching stopped it from going clean through. Oh, wow. you know, And that's 52 pounds with a big heavy arrow. So it was not flying very fast.
1: No, it, it doesn't. It's usually momentum and velocity are two different things. If you've got enough for momentum to work, you gotta have enough weight to push through the object that you're shooting at, and usually with a heavier arrow going slower, it usually will go through about anything. I mean, yeah.
2: Uh,
1: the deer shot a couple of years ago, it was shot with uh, a, black, a Bob Lee Blackhawk with carbon carbon limbs, and that's uh, their version of a super curve but with 506 grains and a three blade. And I was shooting a three blade Woodsman elite broadhead and uh, it went slam through the deer. It was sticking in the ground when it passed through. So it's, a lot of it has a lot to do with the weight and some people, it depends on where you hunt at and what you're trying to accomplish. So uh, I don't hunt in the Midwest, so I don't really need a lighter arrow for flatter flight. All I got to do, I mean, my father's shot on average with compounds are 15 yards. I can get within 15 yards of, of about any game most of the time. Uh, so that's why I shoot a little bit heavier. I like to be between 425 and 450, which seems to be a pretty good happy medium. But definitely anything over 400 is good for me hunting here. Yeah,
0: my, my hunting arrows. uh when I had my shop, they were, um, PSC come out with what they called their Hunter Shap, which is a 7,000 straightness. So I got some in just to try it. Yeah. And uh, so I ordered some in, supposed to be a 300 spine. Wait, PSC does them, there's 100, 200, 300, 400. And the the higher the number, the stiffer the spine. Yeah. Kind of reverse of what a lot of the other ones do. And they yeah. were supposed to be, uh, the arrows I got in were supposed to be 300 spine. They come in 400 spine. So they were heavier. Oh wow. Yeah. So they were heavier. And my normal arrow runs about 360, 370 as far as grains with a with the hunter grain tip on there. And shooting out a 70-pound bow, you know, they zing pretty good. But oh, my yeah. hunting bow, I had when I got ready to replace those, I had to put weight tubes in them to get them the same weight. So I didn't have to change my pins too much. Oh yeah. You know, otherwise, you know, I gotta completely change all my pins. Oh yeah. And so I tried to match the weight as close as I could so I didn't have to, bit, you know, just kind of tweak the pins a little bit. And yeah. so I, my hunting arrows now have weight tubes in them. So once I'm done with those arrows, I'm going to have to re in because I don't have any more weight tubes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's <the> only downfall to <laughs> hunting heavier arrows compared to a little bit lighter setups. You don't, yeah. you have to be mindful of your distance with that little bit heavier of an arrow. And usually what I'll do if I've got I've got one arrow right now set up at about four hundred and thirty grains. I'll get my twenty sided in. Once I get all my pin sided in, I'll see how far that twenty pin will shoot and move back in one yard increments where it's still within reason of in in my little kill zone that I wanna put it in until it drops completely out. So I know that distance I'm good out to say twenty-three yards with a twenty yard pin then I can make my adjustments and go to 30 and do the same thing before I have to kind of split pins and all that. So I'm pretty familiar with what my setup does before I even go to the woods.
0: Well, there's a couple of different ways you can set your pins up. One, you can set one for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Or you can say, okay, I'm going to put this pin right in the center of you know, the, the, the kill zone. So like you're shooting the five spot. I'm yep. going to put the pin right in the center on the X. And I want it to hit at the top of the, the white. You know, stay within that that fight spot. And I'm going to move back until it hits at the bottom. Then I'm going to set my next pin where I'm aiming in the middle and it hits at the top and then move back and you get to the bottom. So now you have basically a close pin and a far pin. Yeah. You know, so you have two pins and it's like, okay, if it's close, I use the top one. I'm, I'm within the kill zone. And, mm-hmm. and then the next one, oh, it's a little further. Um, I've never set them up that way because I... You know, being an engineer, I, I, I like a little more specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't like that. Well, it's it's close, you know. If I want to aim the at the X, I want it to hit the X, you know, and, and yeah. so I set one up for 20, one up for 30. And if it's 25, I just stick it between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, you so know, I've if- learned with my bow that I can take, okay, I can look at the deer. You know, like on, on a picture, I can put one pin here and then see where the other pins, you know, down at the belly. I can kind of use that if, you know, the 20 and the 40 yard pin are all on the deer. I know, you know, it's it's a closed pin, you know. Mm-hmm. So if I get where I can't do that, now I know I got to move up and up and up. And so I can kind of use my pins as a range finder. Yeah. Um, I don't do that very often because, you know, I got used to judging yardage and yeah. I just judge yardage. So okay, uh, this is a 30-yard shot, or this is a 35-yard shot, and I just go, and, you know, pick the spot that I want and, right. and shoot it, and then um, a couple of years ago, I actually got a range finder, and last year, uh, I didn't use it for archery, um, but when we were setting up tree stand, it's like, okay, I ranged it, so I was like, okay, I know that's that's a 30-yard shot out to that row of trees, and, and, you know, if they're out in the middle of the field, well, you know, you kind of figure out where that's at, and I know therefore when I first started out because I wasn't as good at judging yardage, I actually had a 30 foot rope with me. And I would stick at the base of the tree and go out 30 feet and put something to market. And yeah. then I'd pull the rope and I'd go out, okay. So there there's 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 10 yards, there's 20 yards. You know, and then you know, then I wasn't as good at this longer ranges. So it's like, okay, I just know is it within twenty yards? Cause that's what I'm gonna shoot. I'm not gonna shoot way out there. You know, right. at that time I I was just starting out. My skills weren't good enough to make those shots. And, um, you know, now I can, but I can't see very well out that far. You know, I started getting out there that, you know, the 30, 40 yard shots. And it's like, okay, my pins are all blurry. I can't, I can't figure out which pins is which, you know?
1: Yeah. Most time I'm hunting thicker cover anyway. So 30, 40 shot, 30, 40 yard shots are out of the question. Some places you're lucky to get a 10 yard shot. It's so thick. You know, and uh, but open fields, stuff like that at field edges, yeah, I 20 yards, 30 yards is good enough. Uh, I kind of yeah. did the same, like with my how I did my pins with my recurve, holding at a certain point, uh, and see and keep it inside of a, my little kill zone that I wanted to keep it in, which for me, I try to stay within right inside of three inches. I have a three-inch group. I have a three-inch group from up close out the 25 yards. It's good enough. That's enough for your margin of error to be a lot less, right? About an inch and a half margin of error from center either way, and that's pretty much how I look at it. I try to reduce my margin of error with anything I use by you know just shrinking it by shrinking it down because all you really need for it to do is cantaloupe size. And you start with a cantaloupe, that's, you know, four or five inches, then you're going to end up having a lot more margin of error. So I try to, small as I can see, and try to get the margin of error down as low as I can get in that case.
0: Yeah, and, and you talked a little bit about, um, you know, technique where you you go up close and, and you shoot, you know, and then you start stepping back. Uh, well, you know that's that's a good practice technique where you go up, and you know, say if you're shooting a five spot or single spot, whatever you don't want the blue and white targets, and and you shoot, and it's like, okay, uh, let's start off with how close do I need to get so I can always hit the white, you know, and, and then then you move back. It's like, okay, I I'm I'm back to 20 yards, so I'm still hitting. I'm at the 30, I miss, now I go back up to your 10 yards and keep going. That helps <clears throat> your mind. In figuring out, you know, that you can you can hit it. You know, it's, it's training you to think that you can hit it. Yeah. And then once you get back, you know, say, okay, I want to get good out to 40 yards. Now you keep it in the white. Now you move up and it's like, okay, now I'm gonna start with the X ring. I'm gonna shoot the X ring until I move back. I miss it. Now then I go back and keep going back. And next thing yeah. you know, you're at 40 yards and you're hitting that inch and a half circle.
1: Yeah, and by doing yeah, by doing that is Believe it or not, your mind is a good rangefinder. It'll remember right. everything, especially with a recurve or any type of vertical bow. Uh, you get muscle memory, and usually your subconscious will always will It always picks out the good stuff. It don't ever pick out anything bad. Once you hit a target, it takes a picture of it and right. where you're going to hit it, and and a lot of times people will fight themselves. Like having a front seat and a back seat driver. The back seat driver's try to run the guy in the front, and that's when right. you start to problems. And basically, all that practice you did, you're fighting against yourself, and that's how that's how I've missed shots on game or even missed targets that way. Instead of just letting the subconscious take over at all from all that practice, and just shoot, shoot and relax. Try to be as relaxed as possible, and to be able to be relaxed and. In a hunt situation, you just got to be in that situation a lot, yeah, for you to get used to it. And I still get kind of excited, even with phones coming in. I enjoy watching the phones come in and watching them, and and watching other younger deer come in, and and just kind of watch and see how they act, how much they really pay attention. So it kind of kind of learn things whether you shoot something or not. You learn on how to hunt them best way because they do pay attention because here in north carolina everybody's hunts out of tree stand if you make any least little wrong movement they will look up at you i've had i've had to move a tree stand and had a deer come in and look at the tree i was in and it's it's amazing how they remember that stuff and they will here they will constantly look up and if they see any type of weird movement or something out of the ordinary
0: yeah, I know there's a place around here that, it, you know, a lot of people hunt, and the deer are, are trained to look up in the trees. So, yeah. you know, if they see, you know, don't have to see any movement, they just see a strange bump on the tree, you know, they yeah. look up at it, you know, they've trained, they're, they're trained that they, they have predators above them, and, and they look, and, yeah. you know, fortunately, I, I've i never hunted there, but, you know, I hunt more, you know, more wilderness type ones where you don't have lots of people out there, and yeah. so they're not trained to, I have one. Uh, one of our state parks um, has archery in there. You can do archery or shotgun, um, you know, for birds. And you know, there they're they're used to people all the time. There's people in there all the time, you know, because it's a camping area. Yeah. And and so they they aren't really bothered too much by you know people. Um, you know, they'll move around out of their way, and and you know, they it's not like they're paranoid and they go running around, but they will snort at you if you've done something that. You know, creates a smell they're not used to. <laughs> yeah. Oh I, yeah. I did that was not even thinking about it. I went out hunting in the morning, went home, and mowed the grass. Come back, and it's like didn't even think about it. The fact that you know I smelled like gas, and here about a hundred yards downwind from I me mean, this deer snorting because uh, it, sm- it smelled a strange smell. Yeah. Like oh, oh yeah. man, oh time <laughs> to leave now. It's like oh I didn't even think about it. You know when when you go home and I just did stuff and went back that afternoon and. <laughs> <laughs> They're amazing.
1: They're <laughs> amazing animals to hunt. That's for sure. Uh, with their nose and and how they pay attention to a lot of details, it's they can be a tough animal to hunt. If you don't learn their learn their habits for sure.
0: So, what's been your most challenging hunt?
1: My most challenging, I would say, I don't know. I would say probably hunting. Hunting with a recurve was probably the most challenging, most fun, uh, because if you mess up, it's you, it's not, no bow equipment or (laughs) anything of that matter. (laughs) You screwed the shot up. So there's so many different variables that go into it because now you're shooting with fingers and shooting with no sights. And I started developing, uh, after a little bit, I started developing uh, gap shooting that helped me out quite a bit so which i already had some uh, split vision anyway because i do see my arrow i do see my hand on on my riser i've seen everything and some people i talk to i don't see anything but the target you know and everybody sees something different in their sight picture and they have to adapt to what right to what their sight picture is to be the hitting their target pretty successfully and uh I'm with a recurve, it's definitely you get excited. You can, there ain't no draw stops, there ain't no back wall. You can pull that thing back around your back of your head if you can get it back there. If you <laughs> yeah. Get excited, all that adrenaline, you start end up pulling way back and you end up, you know, missing or whatnot. But that's probably the most challenging. And but once you get everything down pat, you know, you basically your anchor points, your draw stop, back wall, right. And you just do a little bit of back tension. It shouldn't take a lot of movement with that to get the air to to be able to get a good release. But it took me a while to learn back tension. That's, and yeah. I had to, and I was learning it on a re, recurve or longbow, and that, that back tension, it would help you come off straighter with the arrow. Because I can tell if I missed left or right, I knew what I did. It's just, like I said, it takes a lot of practice. A lot of blank belling to fix that problem, and uh, I even bought a, a trainer, archery trainer, to where you just tie it. It's kind of like a, a heavy duty 550 cord,
2: right. and
1: you hook it to your bow string, and but you can't and just set it up enough to where you can't grab the string. Now you got to use your back to draw draw the bow. That was challenging. And especially you can do it on a release because it'll make you it keep tension backwards instead of creeping forward. I had that problem. So, using that fixed a lot of those problems because if you creep yeah. a little bit forward when you release, I think it'll just like pull you to it. It yeah. the crap out of me. Yeah. And uh, once I started getting used to that, I started doing a lot better and re going over my form and getting my fundamentals down. That's probably the most important thing. Everybody wants to get to shooting good right off the bat but there's a road of uh, processes you got to go through to be able to shoot good
0: yeah i know uh when i was learning back tension you know it was with compounds and there was um you know back in 95 is when i learned it and before that i'd heard people talk about it. it's like well how do you know when, when you to shoot if you, you don't know when gonna, it's going to go off and and you know i just didn't understand it until you know i learned it and it was like oh i see how do you know what you're going to hit if you don't, if you know, know when it's going to go off, you, you know, <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: and it, you know, and I, I look at too, you know, some of the podcasts talked about, you know, target panic, you know, with a uh, wrist strap is caused by pulling the trigger. Yeah. Because if you know when it's going to go off, you can have target panic. And now if you don't know what's going to go off, you can't have target panic because you don't know when it's going to go off. You're just aiming. Yeah. And, you know, I've done that many times, you know, a new shooter and, it's like okay, your whole job is to draw the bow back, store energy, and aim because I'm pulling yeah. the trigger when I want to pull it. And, and oh, yeah. Most you know, majority of the time, you know, nine times out of ten, they hit the spot they're aiming at. They're like, that yeah, you, they can, don't you, don't you did it. Now to, you can do it again.
1: <laughs> yeah, they don't have time to brace for that that initial shock with yeah. back tension. You don't know when it's going to go. You're just trying to concentrate on what you're trying to hit, and it just raksly goes off, like with shooting traditional equipment, you know, I just get enough to around the string to make a hook. I don't try to squeeze it any more than I have to. It's just my hands pretty relaxed. I get it in in my first digits and just start pulling that. It ain't ain't coming out. I just get all the way back to my anchor and start. Once I get everything settled and it just happens, I just don't try to anticipate it. I just try to concentrate on where I want to hit. And usually it goes off within two seconds. And that's about what you want because you can't – what I heard from uh, Rod Jenkins was a trained mind can only concentrate for two seconds. That's a trained mind. So now you're trying to put somebody that's not used to that and they may be shooting within a second. And it took me a while to be able to shoot and hold it two seconds and instead of just letting it off. As soon as I got to anchor and I felt settled and I was about a second, second and a quarter now you can get back and hold it for a little bit. It does make a difference if you can get back and hold. And a lot of a lot of times with that, a lot of people are over bowed too. Right. That that's a good another good way to get target panic. Uh I mean, I shot I hunted with seventy pounds on the compound for several years. And I watched a video one time of a twelve year old kid. He dropped a, a big deer and I'm thinking in my mind, why am I shooting this much weight, and he's probably—I know he ain't shooting them no more than fifty pounds. If he's got that, and he just dropped a deer, big, a big buck, big deer, right dead, about where it stood. So that's what got me thinking about draw weight and be able to get my bow back and and get back smoothly without being detected. Right, and and that's a that's a big key when you've got about four or five deer in there. And that's five sets of eyes in there looking at you wrong one wrong movement one of them will blow you out and you're
0: done right yeah you know, and that's one of the things like you know when setting up you know the draw weight if you can't drop back slowly straight yeah. to your anchor point it's too much weight if you have to do one of those you lean way back and then pull into it and it's yeah. like if you got to do that to draw then you're going to bust you every time oh yeah uh, you're that's shooting too much weight
1: especially here they don't take but one wrong movement and they'll just all be looking at you yeah and uh and, and I, i've
0: seen i've seen some of the professional uh, uh videos you know hunting it and, and they're struggling they're pulling across their chest yeah. which is your weak muscles not your back muscles they pull it across your chest and then raise up well yeah. that's not your strength is across your chest because now you're using your arms bring up use them back muscles Yeah. and then i've seen it with the finger above the trigger you know these are on the videos hunting videos and then they just slam on the trigger it's like ah oh, dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I you you need to pay me to teach you to do it the right way <laughs>
1: you know well a lot of them is weight is key speed is key but uh i started watching olympic archery the oh yeah guys recurve shooting you know 70 meters and those guys, the Korean national team, one of their coaches made a statement is, like on the arrows, they were using 125 grain tips. And he said, a slow 10 is better than a fast eight. (laughs) Yeah. And that stuck with me, you know, with, with that little bit, you know, a slower, lighter poundage bow. And a lot of them people were shooting 46, 43 pounds and shooting 70 meters. And hitting the 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 center X ring pretty fifty cons- percent of the time at seventy yards, seventy seven yards. Right. So, I mean, they got something there, and that tell you. I mean, if I shot fifty pounds on my compounds, I wouldn't have an arrow left. I shoot better. It's just that mindset. Well, I got to have a little bit more weight, a little bit more speed. It's it's really not all about that. And, in some case, in a lot of cases, if I wanted to do that, I'll just stay with my muzzle loaders, and I got one muzzle loader that'll shoot 20, 2,500 foot a second right out of the gate right now. And archery's supposed to be challenging and fun, and it, and that's the way I look at it. I try to get as close as I can because I'm, I'm really lazy and I don't want to have to walk as far to track my stuff. I just try <laughs> yeah. to put it down quickly <laughs> as possible. <Yeah. laughs>
0: Yeah. As we get older, I don't want to track them either. You know, it's like if they can drop within sight, that's it. That's perfect.
1: That's perfect for me. And especially I have to walk and I got to come back the same distance plus go back to my car with the deer. So I'd much rather be a little bit closer and being closer. It'll actually help your success rate as far as getting a harvest. Your harvest rate will go up. It'd be a higher percentage of harvest instead of trying to shoot a farther shot.
0: Yeah. When you kill the deer, you want to make sure you bring it back so you can eat it.
1: Yes, you know? definitely.
0: Other animals will eat it. It's just, you know, that's kind of a waste because that's why we went out to, to you know, uh, kill the deer is so that we can have food to feed our family. You know, we yeah, want to feel the I'm wild gonna critters. Do. We're going to feed our family, Yeah, <laughs> not not the animal's family. <laughs> that's what
1: I'm out there for is to eat. So the deer I shoot, um, I choose them because I want to eat, and that's I like the meat. I've eat deer meat coming up for the friends that hunted and and all that. So I've ate deer meat every which way you can think of, and I've got certain things that I like. So especially the deer sausage, that is some good stuff. I really enjoy that, and I got a guy that makes some, and uh, he makes it has maple syrup in it. So it's kind of sweet, yeah. So it's it's really good. So that's my whole in, enjoyment while I'm out there. And I usually help some other people out with some deer meat too. Uh, I give, I've gave a lot of. I killed four deer last year, and a lot of it I've gave, I've gave to people.
0: Yeah, that's so what's nice when you can, you know, you have plenty to feed your family, and then you know you can help somebody else out and give them some, you know, probably some of the best meat you can get. Oh, yeah, you know, definitely. You know, you've got your deer, of course. You know, moose is, is a lot better meat. I've never <laughs> and, had moose. But... Oh, oh yeah. I, I went to Canada and, and got a moose. Um, I went up to Ontario, with um, a friend of mine, and it was rifle season. And, yeah, I, I got the moose, and, oh, man, it was so good.
1: Mm, that's a lot of meat off of one yeah. moose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of meat. There was, you know, a good 500 pounds of, of, of meat, you know, with the bones and meat. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's a lot by the time you feel dress it out and. You oh know, yeah. That's a lot of you know, that just the head and hide was about 130 pounds. <laughs> <Woo>. Yeah. <Wow. laughs> that's, that, that's, that's nothing else. You know, that's just the head and hide.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's usually what one tag. Yeah, yeah. Compared tag. to deer, I get six. I get six deer tags here, so we get quite two bucks and four does.
0: Yeah, here we get um, that you can shoot a buck. You have two tags, whether it be two archery, two muzzleloader, um, mm-hmm. two rifle, or, or any combination. If you can shoot a buck, uh, then you know you get two tags. But then there's also other tags that allow you know for season choice going to get one of those and those are separate from the other ones you know like if you get a season choice tag you can shoot archery during archery season rifle during rifle season and muzzleloader during muzzleloader season so it doesn't matter uh what season it is you have to use the appropriate weapon correct Uh, you know so you can't use a muzzleloader until muzzleloader season here in nebraska that's the month of december okay Um, but archery goes from september through the end of the year
1: and then rifles oh, wow. like
0: nine days in November and another nine days in, in January. Uh, so you could shoot the bow all year round, you know, the whole season, yep. and even during rifle season, except you have to wear the orange like the rifle because you're out with yep. rifles. Yep. Um, uh, but, you know, you can shoot even during muzzleloaders. The weird part is in Nebraska, muzzleloader, you have to have the orange. Archers yep. don't need the orange in the month of December, you know, when muzzleloaders wow. are out there. That That's kind of a little bit different, but yeah. you know, muzzleloaders aren't shooting those three, four hundred yard shots, you know, that most archers aren't going to be able to take and don't want to take and won't take. There yeah. are a few archers out there that have the skill to shoot them hundred yard shots and 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 make good shots on them. But oh, they yeah, practice the 100, 150 yards all the time. Oh, yeah. hundred yards away? I can't see that far. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, used to I can't see too. good, don't see a deer. <laughs>
1: I used to practice that 80 to 100 just to make my closer hunting shots easier. Oh, yeah. And I would just sit out there and just drill them, you know, try to drill as tight as group as I could. I found the further I was out, I did some testing on heavier versus a, a lighter arrow setup. A heavier arrow will travel further, and it will hold energy a lot more out to further distances. And I was shooting a 470-grain eastern axis. Then I had another one that was a lot less, about four, a goal tip that was about 402, 403. And when I got out to 80 yards, it wasn't even hardly moving the 3D target. And I was still knocking antlers off my 3D target with a 470-grain arrow at 80 yards. Yeah. It was hitting it pretty hard. So that's stuff like that, you know, little things. Um, most people, well, you can't tell the difference at 20 and 30 yards. No, you can't. It's just speed, but right. it's still a uh, heavier arrow is going to hold from zero on out to 80 to 100 yards. It,
0: it so holds like, a little more kinetic energy. and Well, and, and I like to you know to explain the difference between a light arrow and a heavy arrow. You have a brick wall. You have a Volkswagen. At 70 mile an hour, hits the brick wall. What's it do? Volkswagen <laughs> explodes. Yep. You get a semi, drive at the same speed at the same wall. What happens? The wall disappears
1: yeah now
0: truck especially, still gets damaged but it goes through the wall and, especially
1: and, loaded down oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah
1: you yeah. got a load behind it that's a that's a big difference
0: yeah you and, you don't stop them it's it's hard to stop a heavier arrow you know that's yeah. what a lot of people like to use them but you know i i've got you know when i had my store i had uh, the pc arrows is what i shoot um you know so i was a PC dealer so i have lots of them and when i close the store i just kept all my comp pros which is the 1,000 straightness carbon arrows, yeah. and you know, in the 300 spine, which I use for my 70 pound bow, uh, you know, they they figure out with a hundred grain tip, right about the 370 grain, you know, and shoot out a 70 pound bow is. I find for me, uh, when I was shooting a 60 pound bow, I come back, I I lock into my form better at 70 because it's that little extra force forced me to lock into my form a little bit better than a little bit lighter weight. So, for me, shooting to 70 pounds, I, I would lock it in my form uh, more consistently, you know, because I had to pull harder on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know a lighter bow, even in shooting traditional, uh, most guys, the older guys would shoot heavier. Uh, we'll use Howard Hill. I think his average bow was about 90 pounds. And he was a great shot uh fred bear shot 60 65 pounds he wanted that quick release so with a heavier bow tension on your fingers you know it's it's easy to get rid of it but with a lighter poundage bow uh you do have to have it's a whole different animal when you're going from heavy to a lighter bow you have to actually learn how to shoot a lighter bow to be able to be good with it than than with a heavier and everybody's different when it comes to that. Uh, I couldn't even probably, I can pull 52 pounds back. I think I could pull 60 on a recurve. I've never tried it, but 52 is pretty easy. I can get back to my anchor, but uh, it's draw weights a choice, but I choose a little on the light. I'd rather be a little bit on the lighter side. So if I'm sitting for a while, it's not a guarantee the deer's gonna come in first five minutes I'm in stand. So Especially cold weather. If I'm hunting with archery <laughs> equipment, I want to be able to get that bow back. <laughs> because I know what it feels like not be able to get a bow back on a deer that, that's standing <laughs> Sa- right there perfectly in front of
0: you. <laughs> same same here. I was the time, you know, I, I was doing a lot of shooting in the summertime and you know, going to three D's and stuff. Come hunting season, I pretty much didn't shoot. Yeah. Well, we're in I forget, you know, like late November, December or sometime. I'm in my tree stand. And I go to draw back my bow because I always like to draw it back when I get in the tree stand, you know, make sure everything is good. And I'm trying to draw it back and I'm struggling and I'm struggling. I cannot get it back. I finally get it back. Uh, After waiting a while and taking a break, I was finally able to draw it back. But in the process, I I hurt something because I hurt for about a week. And it's like, I shoot this weight all the time. And what I hadn't been doing is is keeping up some practice time and going through the motions. You know, I've lost enough strength and cold. Once I warmed up, I just drew back no problem. Yeah. You know, the oh. first first time getting a tree stand, uh, it, it just it just didn't work. So
1: um
0: you know come archery season it's nice to keep doing some kind of practicing, even if you just have a bale in your basement that you pull and throw back and and shoot, yeah.
1: you know. Oh yeah, you gotta be able to get your bow back. That's, if you don't if you don't shoot the muscle that you had, you're gonna lose it. You got to redevelop yep. it, and that's why I much rather shoot a little bit lighter, lighter bow with a little bit heavier of an arrow, and that way I can get it back. It's not a struggle. I mean, I can get back without being detected, no matter if the deer's right. looking dead at me, because being able to draw in one fluid motion is a lot better. Like a video I seen with Ted Nugent talks about that. I mean, he's a big a big, uh, big thing on draw weight his wife only shoots thirty-eight pounds, and right, she's yeah. killed a game in Africa and all that. And they said they've always recovered her animals. And I think he shot forty-eight for a long while, and shooting some pretty good-sized animals. So it's a lot of it's again, you know, each person's going to have to draw weights of choice. I mean, I'm not going to rag somebody because they shoot seventy, eighty-pound bow, but once I watched that video of that kid shooting, and I was shooting a lot less, at least 30, 25, 30 pounds less than I was, and he dropped a big deer. It's like, that's why, why am I struggling with it. And the older I get, I want it to be more comfortable and enjoyable to shoot. Right. right. Not a work, not a workout, you know. <laughs> yeah. I just want it to be more enjoyable. To, and it helps you, you know, with your practice, you're a lot more accurate when you can hold it steady instead you're worn out by the time you get the bow back and you're all tired now you can't hold steady so you can't hit what you're aiming at so
0: yeah and there's been times when you know because when i was shooting 70 pounds all the time i you know I'd, I'd do the 300 round and my scores actually went up the further i went even though i'm getting more tired
1: it's mm-hmm. like my
0: scores are going up oh wow Yeah, <laughs> and like weird you know that my scores my last group is better than my first group and
1: then it... yeah my on my case if i do that my scores would get worse as more i went on and that's that's why i chose i dropped my bow weight down years several years like several years ago right before i sold my last compound i had a bear arena 34 and it was set at 60 pounds and i shot a deer at, with 62 pounds shot slammed through it and the arrow didn't deflect off no ribs it just went straight in straight out hit the ground the way it come out of the boat no deflections no nothing it blew through everything i shot it with a hundred grain slip trick standard and so that's why i end up staying at a lower poundage and actually one of my deer shot last year was one of my compounds set with 56 pounds and i shot it with a muzzy one broadhead hundred grain and both my shoulders were bloodshotted. And I shot it quartering away. Yeah. Because the, the processor, when I t- took the deer there, they said, well, your shoulders were shot. I'm like, what? I'm going, I ain't got but a 56-pound bow set up to 56 pounds. He said, come on in here. I looked down, they're both bloodshot. all <laughs> tore up. I couldn't believe it. So that's why these newer, newer bows now, that with the technology, you can get by with a lot lesser weight. And still oh, yeah, the same performance. I mean, it's unbelievable how far they've come along.
0: Well, with yeah. the older bows, you know, a lot of, we we would put overdraws on them. Yeah. You know, because the brace height, you know, like eight inches, and we put overdraws oh, yeah. on them. So that arrow is actually behind the riser. And yeah. the only problem with that is I've seen guys put broadheads through their hand because the arrow fell off and they didn't know it. That was behind oh, their yeah. hand. So whenever I set up a bow, I'm going to set it so that the tip of that arrow is in front of the riser. So if it yeah. falls off, the arrow is sitting on your hand, not the tip. And it's like, well, I want it shorter. It's like, okay, draw back. Now, just what happens if this arrow comes off and it's sitting on your hand and it's the tip is kind of stuck into your hand a little bit? You can't draw back.
3: Mm-hmm. What do you do?
0: How do you let down? Well, if <laughs> it's in front of your hand, you just let down and you're okay. I wouldn't yeah. shoot because it probably smack your hand. but um, you know there's like I when I set them up there's a lot of things I look at you know for safety you know it's like why do I have the arrows there you know and you know how do I put your position so that your arm doesn't get smacked you know set your draw length right and um, yeah. you, you know when you draw back and ladies have other problems uh, some guys you know that's where they wear the chest protectors you know because they come back and a string rubs across your chest even the guys wear them and, you know, so you always have to look at that. So whenever I'm teaching a, you know, lady, I was like, okay, draw back, do not shoot. You know, I want to check and make sure, you know, the new yeah. shorter bows, you don't have a problem with them because the string is such a sharp angle.
2: Yeah. But,
0: you know, back when I started, the bows were, you know, 36, 38 inches. So, oh, yeah. you, but like a recurve, you know, you draw back and, you know, the string is clear back here and it lives way down there. So it runs across you. So. You know, you always gotta make sure you're looking at that and where you're at. And and oh yeah, you definitely. know, there's a lot of things you gotta look at for safety before you even say, you know, don't shoot, just pull back and hold. And then I'll let you know, make sure every and go through all the safety things, you know, make sure your arm is not cocked in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just like okay, you need to let down, you need to fix something. And you know, I, I kind of teach the whole the whole process, you know, from from your grip. You know, in there, I use the same grip on my compound as I do on the recurve. Yeah. Just because that's my grip, that's my arm, that's my position. And I draw back. You know, I, I anchor my index finger to the corner of my mouth is where I anchor to. Mm-hmm. And I, I know this here a while back I heard talking about string walkers. It's like, yeah, what is a string walker? So I had to do some research on it. And basically yeah. it's the, the concept of moving your hand down on the string when you draw. Yeah,
1: you're, you're like, changing pitch of the arrow to hit where yeah. You want to. yeah it's highly accurate i've i've messed around with that and it is very highly accurate i just can't get my big nose out of the way so <laughs> i I'd set up uh my bow to shoot what they call a fixed crawl if and i had to set up a guy not too long ago uh on that at an archery shop because he's wanting to try to recurve and he was having trouble getting his groups. I said, Well, I can set you up on a fixed crawl and you just put just put your air point dead on the animal and had him at, I asked him what his point on was. Point on distance is about 30, 35 yards. It's like, Good Lord, no wonder you're going to end up shooting over an animal and uh, yeah. shorten it up, set him up with it. And a fixed crawl is basically gap shooting and string walking combined but you're going to a fixed point instead of being normal at the bottom of the knot, you're spaced down, maybe depending on the the person, it might be three quarter of an inch down. You're just placing there and all you got to do for close shots, you're going to aim a little high, you know, say 20 yards is your point on, you're putting it, the point dead center. There's no thinking involved. Your points always, you're always on that animal to make that shot. So, that's that's a whole nother ball game, but it is yeah. highly accurate. The aiming techniques are very highly accurate. I shot instinctive, but I shot split vision. So, I did kind of use my air tip for reference, and it's there, you know, and some guys would, especially hardcore instinctive archers, they say, well, if you're going to use your tip, you might as well just shoot a rifle or go to a compound. So, well, it's there you know you've got the same
0: thing <laughs> i mean and yeah, that's I, that, that kind of describes me as like i don't use the tip or anything it's like okay i'm starting reference because if you pull back to here you know to and then you pull back just a little bit further you're putting more power in it and, and the tip moves and, and it's just too much variation with my mind to, to you know get around so uh, when i do it i look at where i want the arrow to go and i draw back and i, and I shoot i don't you know, I, I don't do a lot of shooting recurve anymore, but you know that that's how I do it. Is I just look at the target and you know work on training my body to hit that. You know, different distance, you know, move it around a little differently. And but you oh, know yeah. that that's just me. Have, I I
1: try to have a little bit more tools in my toolbox that I can reference <laughs> to and use and to help me be a little bit more accurate. I wasn't sure on the shot. I can gap shoot. I know my gaps with my arrow set up, and there's a certain gap that I can hold. I could put my air tip. Say I got when I have when I got three D targets. I'll reference on that was a deer target, and I try to get a smaller deer target so that way it's about you know realistic size of of a deer that most people are going to see. Uh, and this, and I would put my point on where I want it to go and see where it impacts, and then I make adjustments from there, and that's helped tremendously now if i got close shots pretty much instinctive but i'm getting a little bit further back you know, and i'm not real sure because i get real, ex- get too excited you forget a lot of stuff so i'll just use it as a reference <laughs> get lined up and shoot and you know everybody's you know has their own style and a lot of guys are got somebody that's gap shoot so i will try to pull a guy that Trying to teach him how to gap shoot, he may not be mentally set up that way to do it. I just had a guy here several weeks ago that's wanting to get his arrows tuned, but he couldn't shoot his recurve consistently. So most of the I've cut off was a quarter inch. So I started grabbing extra errors I had and and then helping him and trying different tip weight because he had some uh, Eastern full metal jackets and those things. I know I've wasted some a whole dozen errors tuning because I mistuned on my own. I definitely didn't want to do it with his, especially I couldn't get a good reading on what he was trying to do. So I just worked right. on his phone and gave him some advice and I checked on him just like the other day and said he was doing a lot better. So I mean, you can I can give everybody all the information they can they can get to get started, but they gotta put it in practice to be able to get to where they need to get to as far as body wise and they know their body better than I do so it takes a lot of practice and I've had I've got a YouTube channel which it's basically I had problems when I started in trying to get to shooting well that's well I just figured I'd help help some people get over that learning curve and it might help them out and you know it's just basically a starter and I found I had one video if you I, I said if you do this you'll shoot accurately and i have more views off that they're trying to find one video that's going to fix the problems right. instead of going out there and, and practicing so
0: yeah if your form's not right it doesn't matter how the arrows are tuned because your your forms if you don't have consistent form it, it doesn't matter what your arrows are doing
1: yeah yeah you get <laughs> you get all types of people some people like And I heard one primitive archer say, calls it form archery, but he's got, he's the same person's got form too. He's doing the same thing every time to get the results he wants. He's got, you know, quite a bit bit of big game kills, but he's doing, he's got some type, everybody's got some type of form. We just call it bad or good, but not everybody has the same flexibility, you know, and all that. So I try to if i was going. Well,
0: and and when i when i teach um i've been an arch instructor since 95 mm-hmm. um, but when i teach this is the way i do it this is what works best for me i'm going to teach you that and then modify it because your body's not like mine right you know um you know when you're shooting your compound because you're probably no you could teach more about recurves than I can because I don't do a lot of shooting on them. Yeah. I can teach the basic stuff, when you start start doing the string walking or the gap shooting, or yes. I don't do that, so I have a little more trouble doing that. I just say, well, if you want to learn string walking, um, Jake Kaminsky, he, uh, Olympic character, you know, he yeah, follow yeah. his videos. I look at his that's how, like string walking. It's like so I watched his videos to see what you know what what is this you know because some people ask and it's like. I need to know, you know, cause I will teach you, you know, traditional bows, but I'm going to teach you the way I shoot them. And you want to learn other stuff that's like, I don't know. So at least now I know, okay, I know the concept on there. And if, you know, if they, I really need to teach it, I'm going to go watching all these videos and then I'm gonna start playing with it and figure it out. Yeah, You know, and it's like, okay, here, do it. But, you know, for, you know, for compounds I teach a specific way of doing it. I hold my recurve, same way I do my compound you know, with the hand going between your mm. thumb and index finger down between the two meaty parts of your hand, you are know, right, yep. kind of like the lifeline, um, yeah, and, you know, I went through, you know, the high wrist where you're pointing your hand, re- your wrist is straight and, and all that, and it's like, you, you know, and because I did martial arts for 20 years, um, you know, the time I was, I was doing archery and martial arts, and when I, when I learned how to shoot, you know, back tension release, and then I kind of Incorporated the two together because you know in, in martial arts you're gonna your power is directed straight to your target through your target. Correct. And, and so I teach archery the same way. When that bow goes off, I don't have a locked arm because you can't control where it goes.
1: No, you cannot.
0: Uh, and your shoulder goes up. So drop the shoulder down, little bit in the arm, and by go by going through you know that meeting part, it turns that elbow out so you don't smack your arm. If you're, if you're smacking your arm, drawing too long, or you're don't really forcing the wrong grip so now when i teach it i want that hand to point straight to your target when you're done shooting that hand should be pointing where your arrow went if it's not then something's wrong with your form yeah. that's the most efficient way to go you know you see a lot of them they'll take and instead of being straight off the side like this they're off like this yeah. their hand so what happens when you go off your hand goes to the outside correct yeah and you can't consistently do that you know there's some that do it but it's it's a whole lot more work and um you know i was just like no no you don't want to point your toes straight to your target you want to have open stance and they're like well, oh, okay
1: uh, i have a slightly <laughs> open stance because of of a hunting even with a recurve i had an open slightly open stance. right that's the best way, especially with bulky clothes. You got to have string clearance. Right, uh, and that's
0: why I shoot a little bit shorter draw length.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm what? shooting uh, my actual, well, a little bit shorter. About a, my actual draw length's 28 and three quarter. I'm shooting a 28 and a half on draw length. So with a recurve, it's 27 inches. Uh, it's a little bit shorter uh them actual draw length is on on the compound but shooting fingers it is going to shrink
2: right at
1: least an inch two inches uh at that but uh yeah being i've been clipped with a recurve uh with my bear grizzling it's 43 pounds for me and that thing will rub you raw and hit you in the same spot if you don't make the right, correct
2: adjustments.
1: adjustment. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. bad way to learn, but usually pain usually gets in your head, and you learn what you learn pretty quick, and you try to
0: avoid all that unnecessary yeah. pain. Yeah, every time I see somebody post a picture of their arm, they smack the arm, I, I, my comment is, drawing's too long. Yeah. <laughs> drawing's too pretty long, guaranteed. Enough. You know, are yeah. you really forcing your arm in a wrong, wrong, wrong grip? You almost have to, you know, set a new normal. You have to kind of almost turn your hand in where it goes along your your knuckles. Yeah. Uh, if you do that, you're going to smack it every time. But oh yeah, uh, even if your draw length's right, but most people don't do that. And uh, one of the things I like to you know explain is like when I start teaching somebody on how the proper hand grip, I'm going to ask them have any martial arts training. Because if they say no, then, okay, I go on. But if they say yes, think a heel palm strike. Because what do you do? You strike up this part of your hand. Because yeah. that is where all the force goes. If you're pushing your bow with that part of the hand, it's connected all the way through your whole shoulder. Yep. And one of the things that we do in, in martial arts is, you know, if you take your hand, you push on it center, it just goes back. But if you push on the side, your hand wants to turn, or your hand mm-hmm. wants to turn. You know, if you push top, it wants to go back. That's the only yep. place you can push on the hand if the hand doesn't want to move. So if that's where you're at, your hand is completely relaxed. It's not going to move. You know, and there's yep. grip and bows too, you put well grip that bow. I've seen people with have that bow is capable yeah. of doing a perfect paper tear.
2: Yeah,
0: you know at that seven foot mark or whatever it is perfect paper tear. But yeah, they got a deaf grip and they have a bad tear. Yeah, and. I had one was posted like I've always had a, a low tear. I can't get it out. No matter what is, you can't get it out. My comment was, well, have someone else shoot your bow. Like, and if the tear is down low, just like it was before, then there might be something else we can start looking at. But there's so yeah, many yeah. things you can do. It could be your lower limb is too much weight or too little weight. You know, they might yeah. be off. Even though you got them backed out the same amount, one might be weaker than the other. It's and that's one of the things to do when we tune them. Is you might have to tweak that. You know, if your bow wants to kick out, maybe, maybe your bottom limb is too strong. You need to crank out a quarter of a turn, yeah, or an eighth of a turn, and, and weaken that bottom one and have them shoot like it's supposed to. That's one of the things when I used to do what I call the super tune as I go through and we look at all that as well as you know you adjust your sights. You know, those shooting compounds with sights. A lot of people don't realize you use three accesses adjustment. Oh, yeah, there is. You have your left and right. And then as you tilt your bow down or up, does it still stay level? So, I, the jig I have allows me to tilt that bow down and adjust that third axis so the level is still level. Because if if your bubble's off, you tilt down and you have to tilt your bow. Because if you tilt it off counter a little bit, now your pins are going to get an angle. So, as you move up, you're moving off the sides. So now you're shooting to the right or shooting to the left. And that's oh, why yeah, adjusting definitely. that third access is important, you know, on compounds. Um, yeah, yeah, me,
2: yeah.
0: you know, a lot of them, you don't have to worry about it. I I use my level when I come back, I don't even look at it anymore. But I'll draw back levels level, I don't look at it no more because I know my form is is good and, and everything yeah. else is good. You know, some of your higher end bows will have that ability to adjust that axis, the third axis. Um but yeah, generally, I a, you don't really
1: have to do much. I got a sight that you can adjust the third and second axis. It's yeah. A HHA Tetra.
2: Yeah.
1: And that thing is a pain in the butt to, to get it adjusted. But I've got a jig that adjusts it, and it's. I sometimes I just like don't even mess with it. I'll just look at the vertical pin. If I'm happy, have it on my bow, just get it. I can look. I can see straight up and down fairly well, and right. I don't. I don't even have to worry about a bubble level. I just hold it straight up and down and just shoot and it goes right where I'm, where I'm putting my pen pin or whatnot. But uh, that's the thing about, you know, shooting traditional, you don't have all that extra stuff.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: so you have to kind of play with the can of your bow and all that to get to where you want to hit, especially up in elevated uphill, downhill. It's a whole different ball game.
3: Yeah,
0: uh, it, it, it is. About, that's, that's the thing shooting you up and downhills is, you know, gets a lot of people because they don't remember that three, four, five triangle and how to judge yardage along the horizontal. You don't judge the straight line distance, you have to judge the horizontal distance. And, and yes. that's, you know, I've said this many times in the podcast. You, I look, if I'm way up on high, I look at the trail and I find a tree that's on a trail and come up where it's level to me and I judge that distance. Yeah. I don't care how yeah. far it looks like it is. And the animal can look like it's 40 yards away, but if that trail is 20 yards horizontal, you better shoot it for 20 yards. Yeah. Not what it looks like. You know, so you can't use your pins like I talked about earlier to gap them because they're off, because you're 50 yards away or whatever it is, and you're actually yeah. only 20 yards away. And
1: yeah, that's the advantage to with a traditional bow, especially somebody shooting a fixed crawl like that their points always on the animal it's just whether it's high low closer to animal is say 10 yards you're gonna hold lower on the animal the farther it, the farther it goes you're gonna hold probably top of back and that's that's with me with a 20 20 yard 25 yard point on with that type of system you always can keep it's fairly simple you know close in lower on the animal. Yeah, it's yeah. your distance at 20, dead on, a little bit further back, a little bit high. It's simple. There's no thinking to it. That's only three things you gotta think about.
0: <laughs> Once you yeah.
1: figure out where they're at, it's it's pretty much on there from there. Is and, it a uh, close
0: on or a high? You know, is yeah, you know, is it close, yeah. medium, or long range? Yeah. And you know, we kind of talked about earlier setting your pins. You know, you've got your close pin and your far pin. So yep. your close pin is good from wherever to wherever distance and your far pin is from here on so yeah you know, kind of like you, you're you talking about there you hold low on the animal if it's close right on if it's the medium range what you're set on for and and high there so yeah, that makes it you know simple just like where am I at I need to hold <laughs> low medium or high oh yeah I like it simple simpler it is the easier
1: it is for me the less thinking well, I have to do
0: and and the same thing too you know with you know in, in rifles you can do the same thing i know uh, my one rifle i have i have a browning x belt 30 out six i'm dead on at 200 yards i'm about three inches low at three, at uh, 300 and about an inch and a half two inches high at 100 so that's kind of the same concept you know anywhere between this range and this range i just put crossers where i want them to go you know oh, or yeah. their tip and shoot yeah I, I, don't care how far it is. If it's more than 300 I'm not going to shoot it anyway. You know, or or like in the case, if it's more than 30 yards, I'm not going to shoot at it because I i know the range and I know how steady I can hold. And um, you know, as we get older, it's a little harder to hold steady, you know. So you're gonna bounce around a little bit more. And, you know, that kind of reduces your your overall range. You know, if you can, you know, when you're younger, you can draw back and you can hold that pan where it stays, you know, basically it floats around in, in the 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 white on the five spot you know the, yeah. the five pointer if it floats around there you're good you know and then next thing you know you're tighter tighter now, now basically floating around you're on your x spot yeah. you know and then as we get older it's like i can't hold that steady anymore so yeah. i'm i'm it's like okay i'm gonna have to satisfied withhold it in the five spot you know in the in the five ring you, you know so you just have to you know learn where you know where you're at adjust your your effective range yeah and, definitely yeah you know, that's that's thing too you know when you have people that are shooting say it say like they're at 20 yards they're keeping it within the kill maybe a six inch you know circle because i haven't taught them <laughs> how to shoot or somebody else hasn't taught them real you know how to how to shoot better and so now that's 20 yards so now how far are they off if they shoot 20-yard pan at 25 yards? That'd be pretty off pretty good. Yeah, and then what What if it's actually 30 and you think it's 20 and actually 30? Now you may yeah. not even hit it, you know, because yeah. you can't hold a tight enough group. Yeah. So, you know, it's something like that. Your effective range of being able to shoot might be 10 yards or seven yards because of how big your group is and how off your yeah. yardage. Now, if you can hold them at 20 yards within, you know, the X-ring, you know, an inch and a half circle, now then, if you're off by five yards, no big deal, because you're still within, you know, your six-inch kill zone.
1: Yep. You know, yeah, so, that's why I try to stay with the three-inch from zero out to wherever I'm hunting. to. So, yeah, the worst-case scenario, if I can stay within three inches, I'm good. That's going to yeah. kill any big-game animal in North America.
0: Yeah. Well, and when you go out for the bigger animals, you know, like your moose, you know, the the kill zone is about the size of a trash can lid. Oh, I guarantee it. I still
1: want a three-inch group. (laughs) No matter what. That's (laughs) because my margin error ain't going to be about an inch and a half. That's still good.
0: Yeah, that's still good.
1: There's certain places on a whitetail, and if you're not holding, you know, dead on the crease, if you're off that crease a little bit, that two inches will be, you'll be a liver shot. And you'll be waiting for four to eight hours for the animal to expire you know so it does make a difference on your margin of error in practice. and practice and the way I practice is is I got a reason for what I'm doing and why I'm doing it is because I want to shrink my margin of error and get the most effective shot I can
0: well and, and if you get off enough you hit net. that there's one spot on the shoulder that your broadheads just do not pass through.
1: Yeah, the ridge of the shoulder blade. Right. Yeah. I yeah, hit one do.
0: one time, seventy pounds. Yeah. With a with a, with my muzzy broadhead, which muzzy broadheads will stand up to a concrete block, because yeah. I, I you know I was tired shooting my you know I had my store and I actually stuck a muzzy broadhead into a concrete block. I still have the broadhead. Still use it. Uh, wow. The shaft, the shaft, and the insert, the insert got cracked. The shaft broke back about an inch, inch and a half, but that was at 70 pounds at 20 yards into a concrete block. Mm. And I found my arrow not too far after it wasn't really much blood on it. and It was in a milo field and, uh, buddy and I, we, we kicked up one deer out of there. It ran off, nothing wrong with it. And we stomped for about three hours, that field looking to see if there's anything in there. And that was the only thing it got up and didn't really hurt it. You know, that one spot, you know, you would think a, a, a muzzy rider, which is tough. You know, bat, I've shattered bones with them before. Yeah. And, you know, it still didn't penetrate that one spot on that shoulder. <laughs> I had a doe come in one time I
1: was shooting. Uh, I had a bear Montana. It was 52 pounds for me. I was shooting uh, a, bear, a, a grizzly single bevel broadhead, 200 grain. And doe come in she was a good sized doe she was about 15 yards and she kind of looked up where i was at so i just stayed still and got to thinking and she kind of went about her business on it so she's good and she got broadside and i drew back and when i released i had like a it was about a 500 grain arrow that deer dropped down and rolled and my arrow ended up hitting her in the shoulder right along that ridge never found my arrow I looked for that deer for seven, eight hours all day, rest of the day, because I thought for sure she was done. And uh, come to find out, it's just I hit right on that hardest part of the shoulder blade. And a single bevel is known for splitting bone. It didn't split that. No. It
0: there's that
1: really one, in it.
0: It's like so, armored plating in that one spot.
1: Yeah, it's, it's real thick. It's an edge all the way around it. It's, right. It's thick, and it's hard. I mean, you can get shoot in the middle of a shoulder blade. You can pop it just fine, but that's, that's shooting, oh, yeah. a bit high. shooting a bit high on it. Uh, then, and what happened to me was something out of my control because the, the animal's not going to stand there like a 3D target unless you shoot them all day long. Uh, no. <laughs> they, they hear something, and I couldn't believe how how low that deer dropped down. Her chest was almost touching the ground and rolling. Oh. I thought I rolled her. And she oh, was yeah. still, she got on her, she was still on her feet and never tripped up and took off. I'm like, oh man! So I end up spending a good part of my day till I figured, you know, that deer ain't dead. And I got a neighbor property here. I know the guy that owns it. I told him my situation, and he said, "Yeah, you can go look." And I tracked all around his property, never even found the deer. And I Sorry. talked to somebody that was a elk, elk uh, been an elk guide, mule deer guide, said, so, Yeah, you get him in shoulder. That deer'll be fine. So I pulled so many broadheads out of shoulder blades because of cause of that, off moose and different other type of animals. And he said, that deer would be just fine. So it kind of gave me a little bit more peace of mind, but that's why I, when I practice, my purpose is to make a better shot. Right. Shot and quicker recoveries.
0: So. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, you know, why we want to practice. So we, we have confidence we can hit, you know, what you're shooting at. And oh, yeah. That's why that's why I like shoot in spots because, you know, that develops your skill. I know I can hit what I'm aiming at. Oh, guy, yeah. I like going three D's because then I know I can judge the yardage. I know I can hit the spot. So, uh, you know, I'm already and, you know, when I was doing a lot of three d Shoots, I wanted to average an eight. You know, if I average an eight or better, then it was good. That man, I, I averaged at least a kill shot on every one. Oh yeah, and, you know, I talked about this on on one of the podcasts that you know they have a term and I think I think the hunter class there should be a a hunting hunter class which is scored differently. There is no five points; it's minus five points. Oh yeah, out of, so, out of the case. so that means a wounded animal is minus five. And then yep. you get your eight and your ten. So you could actually end up with a negative score.
1: I shot a 3D tournament at uh, with a with a traditional, and they if you didn't get it in the kill zone, it was a zero.
2: Yeah. No <laughs> and yeah. like Ooh.
1: yeah, yeah. I found that, out real quick. <laughs> I
2: that,
1: went and all, all that at certain distances, and that stuff like that'll help you find your effective range right because uh, i'm not embarrassed to say you know eight, ten yards i mean i had an eight yard average i mean i was seeing stuff on deer like eyelashes and it, they were pretty close oh. i even shot yeah. one at five yards and and whatever it takes for me to be accurate and be able to harvest what i'm hunting and even with a compound i'm not shooting I don't think I've ever shot past 20 yards. I think maybe one time, but the rest of the time, I've been within at least 15 yards
0: in my whole yeah. career. Yeah, it. my my first deer was 40 yards away. Oh, I've wow. never shot one that far since then. Uh, one deer I shot was up close, and it went out 30 yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything else has been 20 and under. You know, when I yeah. set up a tree stand, I, here's the trail. I try to find a tree 20 yards away. Yeah. And those dark deer refuse to go down that trail, though he's coming closer. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. They're they're coming underneath my tree stand and you know, five yards, 10 yards away. And um I I know the one time I, I had set up and there's a trail off in front of me and off to the right of me. And 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 I heard this deer coming to the right of me. It's probably about a 10 yard shot and i shot and somehow i completely missed and hit the tree on the other side of it i buried my broadhead into a tree it run towards me and turned around said broadside even closer shot so i was able to get it oh wow (laughs) you know because the sound was over to the right of it and i was the left of it and so of course it's going to run away from the sound and 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 then look back where the sound was and see what it was and Another time out of the same tree stand, there's a deer come walking down the trail and I drew back on it and and I shot it and it started running off. And, and while I'm at full draw, I hear another deer coming down my trail. It's in front of me, about the 20 yard trail away. And so I shoot, watch where it goes. I know where it goes, turn around, load an arrow, draw back and wait for the other one to come out and shoot the other one. And then it run off. And it's like, now I got I got to track two deer and clean two deer and haul two deer out tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I,
1: I got a little happy last year. I had some deer come in. I started shooting them, and which you know, with the tags we have, there ain't no daily limit, so I can shoot whatever tags I have that day. And I've had multiple shots on deer coming in. I mean, even after some being shot, they'll come right back on in and. I start ringing them out, and usually you get that. I've I've got that many. I think the most I've shot in one morning in an hour was three deer. They just come right in one after another. Uh, I just couldn't believe it. Most time I shoot one, they run off, and I don't see another one. But here in the past several years, every time I shoot one, there's more coming in. Yeah. So I always learned to, I had to learn to load my arrow off a mistake. You know, once I shot one. I got people that'll take the meat, so it's not going to go to waste if I right. don't want. It. Uh, I do have people that will take it, and there's always something that I can do with the meat, so it's not that wouldn't be an issue but uh but it seems like the past several years I've had multiple deer come in after I've done shot one so it's it makes it fun, but it makes a lot of work for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah deer out
0: do you, do you process the meat yourself?
1: Uh, I have, I mean, by the time I drag one, I'm so tuckered out. I mean, I just turned 52 and I'll just take them to the processor and be done with it. And usually if it's hot, I'm going to, I'm going to get guts out first before I even right. call. Them. And, uh, if a game warden in North Carolina hears me, that's, that's what I'm going to do. If it's like 95 degrees, I'm dropping guts. That meets my priority over right. me getting the deer, uh, tags and all that done i'll do it after the fact after i get the guts out get the meat cooling down but uh if it's cold i'll call it in right there where where i'm at get it get my number harvest id number and that's the way we do it oh okay Um, there ain't no physical tag that goes on the deer like it used to be here so now you got to call it in and get a number so now you got to have a pen handy on you to write it on your report card so that way you, when you take it to the processor, if you don't have a uh, the report, the harvest number, they won't take your deer at all because they'll get trouble oh. for it. They do right because
0: so. they need to have a number for them.
1: Yes, and they gotta have your information, your license number, and all that. So mm-hmm. if something's a little messed up, they'll they'll find out pretty quick. Yeah, or that, or the processor won't take it, and they'll turn you in. If right, you be up upfront and honest about it you know but normally if it's hot i'm getting guts out of a deer before i would do anything because you ain't got a, a lot less time i try to get oh, yeah. it out in the first hour if i can get it out quicker i will and it just gives you a lot better quality of meat and it will well, have have so much of a gamey taste to it when you start letting guts sit in there and heat
0: build up yeah it's well, and, and you're not off hunting more. You're, you shoot the one, you find it, you know, you get it gutted and then, you know, call it in. You know, I, I don't see why that would be be a problem, but uh, before you start dragging it out, you better have it called in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you,
1: all we got to do is punch a. We got to punch something uh, the date that we, when we find it, we got to punch the date out on the cord and then... Right. Well, we can even dismember it it's got to be uh called in for that harvest id for for meat purposes guts i can get them out and i ain't going bad enough so well,
0: like i said that,
1: that meets my first priority
0: and they want to know you know how many are killed whether it's whether it's a doe uh, a buck a fawn yeah uh, just so they can know what's what's the limit next year because of if all of a sudden nobody's calling them in, now they're going to think there's a way bigger herd than what there is, and they're going to up oh. the limits, you know uh you know, so they use the information, you know, not just to see if you're doing it legal or not, but you know that they, they'll use it to know what size of herd they have, you know that we need we need to kill a hundred thousand deer this year and and we only killed eighty thousand. Well, maybe next year we need to make it hundred and twenty thousand. You know, and it's like, okay, well, we killed our 120,000. Well, maybe next year you need to 100,000. You know, so they they kind of bounce it around. They do the same thing in fishing too. You know, size limits for like bass you know, is oh, all yeah. determined by, you know, what the, the bait fish are doing.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, here, uh, like I know here, like I own a property, it's eight and a quarter acres. Me and my cousin do. We got it through inheritance. And it's got, whew, I mean, I think one year I sat three sets. I seen 30 deer. Oh. Roll through. Yeah, I got a lot of them. Yeah. And I even started trying to take phones to keep the slow, the growth on the herd. Because once right. you get overpopulation of them, then your greenery and all that's going to get, you know, just stripped. And you won't have any cover for any other things. Uh, and they'll, they'll strip. I had some blackberries down here several years back. Before we had a tornado come through, and laid down all the trees back here. And I was hunting back here, and uh, the deer like on the underbrush. So when we get so many deer and they're hungry, they clean out some underbrush in a minute. I mean, it'll oh, be yeah. gone. And if you don't start thinning them out, and when I took two deer last year, two duck, one yeah, two does, and come back to see they had eight more phones yearlings they had a here they had a quite a bit of phones last year I mean I was seeing 30 and 40 pound phones before both seasons oh that was yeah they're pretty that they was pretty good size and yeah they had a gob of them I'm like I thought I was doing something then when I looked on my game camera there was about eight more of them little suckers <laughs> still there. you know I can't oh. it's hard to, it's hard to keep up with if everybody don't you know, get them thinned down to a, and that'll keep from diseases spreading, too.
0: Right, uh, a lot of people like to only shoot the big bucks, and it's like, well, you can't control a herd with big bucks, because if you got one buck left, he's going to do as many as he can, Yeah. and, um, you know, if you get well, too many will. of them now, then they go out nocturnal, and, and you can't get them, so, yeah, um, and besides, I think the does taste better anyway.
1: Yeah, I like eating the does. I like eating about 60 to 100 pounds, which is really high, higher quality meat than an older deer right it's not as much you got to do and it's not as as gamey which i don't mind that taste i've got i got people here that do my wife won't even touch deer meat so it don't matter how good it is and uh she'll make it she'll make it for me but now I get it processed in a way where i can grill most of it you know oh, yeah. the loins uh make it into the sausage you know, stuff like that, so, uh, and there's, like, me and her older son, I'll cook some sausage, and I'll tell him, you know, there's some deer meat in there, deer sausage, and he'll come in there and get get what he wants when he makes breakfast for himself and all that, so, it's, it's you know, pretty good meat, but it's a higher grade of meat right. than what you would get at a grocery store, I mean.
0: Oh yeah. There, there's no growth hormones, no, no antibiotics and yeah. none, none of those chemicals added to it. You know, it's, it, it's all natural organic growth because they're yeah. going to eat the, the grasses and the crops and stuff The you know, around here in Nebraska, you know, a lot of our, our deer are corn or soybean fed. Oh, you know, yeah, a lot of cornfields. So, you know, we have some really good meat out here. Now you go out in Western Nebraska where the mule deer are at and, know there's a lot of sage and stuff so you know they're a little bit different
3: tasting meat but um
1: yeah here a lot of deer graze on a lot of different things i mean they especially like this little uh brush it's got real small leaves they they'll nip the tops off on it get all the leaves off of it and that's how i found some deer on some on game lands just by looking at the tops of those little little bit of brush i can't remember what it's called but i start seeing fresh nips i know they're coming in there i just got to figure out what time they're coming in and if you don't disturb them too bad they keep the same pattern if you start disturbing them they'll start changing their patterns right Uh, in this area it's more of a morning hunt than it is an evening i've seen bigger deer in the evening but it's more of a morning type hunt or late afternoon but you get closer to the evening, they, you might see one, but it'll be a good-sized deer when it comes through, if you see it, if it don't stay in the thick stuff. Because I'm right on the edge of the thick stuff where, where they oh, come good. out. They got a network of trails back in there. It's just you don't know where they're coming from. And uh, the more closer you get to it, the tougher making a shot it is because you got so much stuff in the way.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, the, the
0: deer population starts getting really busy. There's there's one of the forests here, um, not too far from me here, that, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, you couldn't see maybe 20 feet, 30 feet. It was just yeah. so thick. And they, they didn't allow hunting there. They finally had to start having some controlled hunts because you could see 100 yards in the forest now because oh, the deer yeah. just, everything that they could reach is gone. They just ate oh, everything. Yeah. yeah they will and and they went through like the blue tongue and all the diseases and it's like yeah they're going to shorten the herd some way it's going to get reduced one way or another oh yeah yeah well there's diseases or hunting and at least you know you you have the herd's healthier if you don't have those diseases
2: yeah it
0: is so they start having controlled hunts and you had to go down and prove you could hit what you're aiming at and oh yeah which is is Kind of an interesting story. When I was in a, one of the archery clubs, we had a broadhead sight-in day where we had broadhead targets out it because normally you, don't, you can't shoot broadheads. Well, they're cardboard targets that get stuck. So we had broadhead targets and we set them up at different ranges, you know, like, like 10 yards. And I was amazed at how many could even hit the target.
2: Oh, yeah. You
0: know, this is a two-foot square and they're missing the target not not just hitting the spot but they're missing the whole target you know just barely keep it in in this thing it's like and you're ready to go hunt (laughs) yeah
1: yeah a lot of guys don't that's why a lot of guys went to expandables a lot less tuning uh, yeah when it come down to it i shot. i mean i shot my first deer with a nap kills on it did its job i mean I just got to thinking too many moving parts and I started going to a, a fixed blade after that. And then I started figuring out, yeah, you got to start tuning these things to get good air flight. And, and I had a Magnus Stinger 100 grain and I shot a slick trick, 100 grain standard. And I shot them, I tuned them all the way out to 50 yards and they were hitting fist size, about size of a heart on the 3D target at 50 yards I ain't try it no further than that because I wasn't shooting that far but right I shot a lot then uh didn't have the issues I have now so uh I was shooting quite a bit and I didn't mind shooting a deer at 40 yards I was pretty much about a two inch group at 40 then now yeah I'd just rather be closer and not have to walk as far right and uh but those broadheads, once they're tuned, they fly. Even the Magnus, I mean, it's a bigger bladed. Uh, uh, I had a four blade, had the two bleeder blades and the two main blades, and it flew just really good out of 50. I, I didn't have any issues with flight. So tuning your broadheads is a big thing. If, even with the, uh, if you had a, just a mechanical, I mean, because that's still – it's an extra length uh, on your arrow that you didn't normally have with a field tip. Right. Everybody – if you put any broadhead on a hooter shooter on a shoot machine, they're going to hit hole to hole. They're going to match. I don't care what broadhead it is. And it's going to hit the same holes as a field point. The problem is with us is – there's a lot of human error when it comes to shooting a bow that hooter shooter doesn't have any error. Right. Every it'll shoot hold to hole with a field point. And I had to learn that, you know, not too about a couple of years ago and if you put it on a hooter shooter and it's got no mistakes, it's every broadhead's going to fly like a field point.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I know on, on, on my bow that I use for hunting, um, I, I set up to shoot field points and then I put broadheads on and I tuned the broadheads so they all hit in the same spot but they didn't hit the same with the field point. Yeah. So my hunting bow was set up to shoot broadheads and, and when I'm tuning my broadheads, <laughs> I have um, what we call a bar which is a cone-shaped uh, washer and then okay. a rubber O-ring and then put yeah. the broadhead on because I shoot muzzle Muzzy is the only broadhead I've ever sh- ever hunted with. Yes. I start with a four blade. Now I'm done 100, 100 grain three blade. Okay. And you'll put it on. And I, I start off with lining up the blades with the fletching yeah, and shoot. And then I can tweak it a little bit more, tighten it up, loosen it up. And you can actually direct where that broadhead hits. Yeah. So as I'm sighting a man at 20 yards, I'm tuning my broadheads to hit the X ring you know, and then, okay, it's done, and then, you know, so I got my sight set up, I got it tuned in, the next one, I come in, tune in, and, and okay, it's, so I do them all, so I know all of them will hit the X-ring, so that bow is set up for broadheads, if I do practice with field tips, they're not going to hit in the same spot, but I don't care, because I know the broadheads hit there.
1: Yeah, I try to get my broadhead and my field point to fly together, within reason, yeah. you know, you're going to have yeah. some broadheads that's not going to you know, jihaw per se, you might be trying to shoot a a pretty good size cut. You might need a smaller, but I've got enough broadheads here I can play with and, you know, that I've used for practice heads. And uh, I can figure out what's going to work and what ain't. I want to be kind of within, I don't know, the broadhead being within two inches of my field point. But as long as if, they, if it drops low, lower than my field point, i'd rather it be lined up directly under it so i'll know how it flies but uh that could be just a little bit of tuning your knocking point or uh
2: yeah
1: loop, whatever bringing it up to bring your broadhead your field point and your broadhead together but i try to get them as close as i can so that way yeah. i don't have any question about when i tell you do take a shot it's it's gonna be there yeah Even that's that, why
0: i I didn't worry about the field points. I just worried about broadheads. I know it shoots the broadheads like it's supposed to. The pins yeah. are lined up. Um, I have another bow that i I shoot, you know, I go in three ds and stuff. I don't use my hunting bow for that. Um, yeah. I have a drop away rest on the other one and um, I actually have a set of the Montac g fives mechanicals that I mm-hmm. was going to shoot one time when I just didn't have time to you know go through and test my you know uh, you know my hunting bow. I was going to use the other one because uh, I need a new string on it, and I hadn't done that in in a while. And you know, being a bow tech, you know, yours is the last bow you work on. And, yeah. Yeah. You and know, I was like, okay, I need a new string. This is starting to get worn out. I need a new string. It's like another year goes by. I need another new string. It's like, oh, ain't got no choice now. Broke over the winter time. You know, when my <laughs> bow was setting up. You know, I was like, okay, it broke. You know, now I got to make a string. And, and yeah, then you go through everything else, and then you got to you know go through set them all up, and and you know then the other bow was a, a new bow, and of course uh, the strings. I hate to say bad about PSC strings, but they're PSC strings. That they put on the bows, you know, back twenty years ago. Yeah. On a good day, they were crap. <laughs> oh wow! You know they yeah. they just didn't they just did they, they just weren't very good strings. Now, yeah, therefore, must... while they're they're on the upper end bows, they're putting Winner's Choice strings on. Which, no, those were good strings, but the original yeah, were... one were 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 not very good. And um, one of my staff shooters, every time we get a new bow in, because about every other year you get a new bow, and he wouldn't even shoot it. It's like, okay, I got to make him new strings. Oh, <laughs> yeah, wow. pull off the brand new strings, but the only is because it was just too much work. You know, they seem like they'd never stop stretching or moving, and and yeah. you put them on and it settles down and and go most factory strings are
1: not all that great you might get a good year out of it maybe i think the best factory string i've shot was the zebra hybrid that matthews had yeah and it actually lasted two years i didn't even when i sold i had a mission uh it's one of their 33 axle axle bows it had the same cam system as the chill x and chill r and uh, I was a big fan of that weighted cam system. And uh, that string lasted two years. And it once it settled in, it stayed there. And that was the best factory string I've ever shot. But now any other string from any other company, I get, try to get rid of it and get, uh, I'm using America's Best Bow strings on my other, other ones. And I've seen, I've liked those pretty good. And Winner's Choice is a great choice too for strings or customer services through the roof.
0: Yeah, I know uh, there's there's a lot of good string manufacturers nowadays, yeah. but you know, I I kind of uh, I really can't justify buying a string when I have enough string material and the jigs to make a yeah. new string probably every month for the rest of my life and still not run, run out of string material. <laughs> <laughs> I might yeah. have to buy some certain, you know, end loop serving or center serving, but the string material is like uh, you know when i was doing it before if i bought one roll of string material the first time i made a string pretty much paid for it and now i had enough to make probably 20 or 30 more strings on that one color you know oh, wow. the, the big rolls you, you can get a lot of strings out of them and you know i had um, all kinds of different colors you know um, bcy is what i that's all i use for string material when i buy yeah. them i do have some of the other stuff that was left over you know from when I bought the store from from the guy, I had some other ones, but um, I use the eighty one twenty five uh, for all the compounds, and then for recurs I use um, a B five hundred. You know, a little oh, more yeah. stretch for it for the recurs because <laughs> yeah, and unless uh, unless the recurve or longbows specifically and reinforced take the 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 faster strings, you, you'll yeah. re- break the tips off. So I, I just don't just don't use, I use them.
1: D ninety seven
0: on the yeah. ones that were
1: reinforced. Uh my Bob Lee uh Blackhawk, I had actual carbon limb tips. Cause the reason carbon's pretty tough, yeah. It's very strong, a lot stronger than wood. So uh I had the limb tips done in carbon also for that very reason. To keep it from snapping. Cause it does have a wood core. I think it's a bamboo core in it. Uh that's why I had the uh Carbon limb tips reinforced in carbon. Yeah, you know, it kind of looks boring black, but I, it's strong. <laughs> yeah. Even the rider was my Carta. You ain't breaking that. So, no, no. You'd have yeah. to really intentionally try to break it. To break it. It's as that bow was built to last a while, long while, years, my lifetime.
0: Yeah. I, I know that's you know, the old bows, you know, it'd be like a poured, poured riser. And, you know, they weren't near as strong as the new machined aluminum uh, risers. And I had uh, an American, um, I forget which, which other model, Challenger or something like that. Um, High Point actually bought them out. Mm -hmm. And I'm shooting the bow, getting ready for hunting season, getting everything all sighted in. And I'm shooting and I just can't get the pin set. I was like, what's going on? Because I'll shoot and then it's off. I adjust and shoot again, you know, shoot some more. And finally, I just say, you know what? I'm going to go up close. I drew back and shot and I'm holding the bottom half of the bow. The top half comes back and smacks me in the chest. Hmm. The riser broke at the hand, right where your hand holds it. And now then it was a week or two weeks for hunt season. I'm trying to go out. I got to go to the shop and say, okay, I need a bow. And that's when I bought my first PSE bow. And, okay. uh, um, you know, I had that for a long time and I, I shot the old double X 78s, 25 12s, which double X 78s for those that don't know, um, you know, unless you know about aluminums, uh, that's yeah, a 25, yeah. 25 diameter with a 12,000s, a 12 uh thickness. And it's a real heavy spined arrow. Oh, and yeah. the double X 78 was a 0.0015 straightness. So it's a real straight, and they're expensive. Back then, it was like sixty-five dollars a dozen. I got to remember this is back in in the eighties um, and nineties. Is you know, when I, when I was doing most of this, you know, so yeah. it's been you know, a good 25, 30 years ago, uh, and they were still that expensive. But I'd buy a new dozen every year, and back then the the rest had a two prong rest. In order to judge uh, adjust the inside one, you had to take the the set screw out. Pull out the outside pin and adjust the inside one. Put the outside back in. Put the set screw in and adjust. It. If it wasn't right, you had to do it again. And yeah. it, was a, it was a real pain to get that rest adjusted. You know, so it was that perfect, you know, getting a really good flight. And yeah. when I sold it, I told the guy, I says, okay, unless you're going to change your rest, only shoot 25-12s, X 78s because it shoots perfect with that arrow set up just like that. If you change anything, you might as well put a new rest on it. <laughs> yeah, because they're they're That's not.
2: Right. You gotta do it that yeah, way.
0: You, you get them set, and you know you learn how to set them doing that. But man, it's like okay, I got to tweak it sixty uh, fourth of an inch in, and then you tweak it and you put it in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know back then we did a lot of things to get as much speed out of the bow as we can. A lot of guys that shoot 90 pounds just so we can get some speed out of them. Yeah. Uh, I never did, but, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, don't have to anymore. You know, the bows no, are getting so fast. And, and, you know, it was really easy to get broadheads to fly because they were slower. As the What I I found in my experience is the bows get faster. Fixed blades get harder and harder to control. They do. And then at some point it, it's like next to impossible to get them to fly. And then you might as well go to mechanical because you can't get them to fly consistently because it's so fast. Oh, and yeah. the other thing I noticed too is the faster the bow, the more perfect your form's gotta be.
1: Oh, you yeah, definitely it's
0: like it magnifies your mistakes. So if you yes, have a absolutely. slight mistake on a slow bow, yeah, it doesn't care. You go, yeah. you're you're fine. On a fast bow, you take that same mistake and you might be off by inches to a foot. You know the same mistake where before it yeah. puts you right on. You know that oh, that's yeah. one of the disadvantages of these bows, and then they're getting shorter and shorter, and the shorter and shorter ones are hold, harder to hold steady. Uh, just like you know your your target shooters have that great big old long bar, you know stabilized bar in front, and then two counterweights it makes that ball really heavy, but that long bar keeps it from moving. You can hold it steady. And, yeah. You know i I like to you know take like, okay, you got that long, real long bow I got a short bow, and now take a, a pencil and and you know move it back and forth with your fingers. now take a long stick and try and do that. You can't move it 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 re- resists you wanting to move you know that's the advantage of the longer bows um Now there's other problems boys. that come in with the long ones, but you know that's that's where it's very important if you're having problems you know, to get with an instructor and say, hey, you know, what's, what am I doing wrong? Because there's, there's something wrong. And especially when you take in, uh, when I worked at Cabela's, this guy, he couldn't, he couldn't group or nothing. So he wanted to put a dropway rest on it, figuring that would take care of his problem. So I put the dropway on it. And how do you tell if a dropway is working? You got to shoot it. Because yeah, long right. as you draw back, let down, it doesn't drop, you know, unless it's one of those, you know, if the ones that lock up, Otherwise, they'll drop, but you don't know, is it set up right or not? So I I took his bow, I drew back, and I shot. Drew back the second time, shot again, stuck two arrows together. And the guy come in, he says, I couldn't get at the group. It's like, I shot twice, stuck two arrows together. I guess it ain't the bow now. (laughs) Yes, usually... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had to learn that valuable lesson because usually
1: ninety-nine point five percent of the time it's the archer, not the equipment. <laughs> right. I went, I went to a great extent one day. I thought I couldn't hit nothing with my recurve. And it's like, I'll just I'll just retune the arrows and see. I was after a couple hours, I was back in the same spot, same knock height, same everything. So that's when I realized it's me. And I started working on me before I started working on the bow and all that time wasted, and that's – I got a guy that's like that, even with guns, you know, if he – if his bow was off, oh, it's the bow, no, it's you, probably. You just ain't shot, and it's all off, it's you, but he never would believe it, but, you know, it's whatever. One issue was wrong. I had to learn that valuable lesson. It's a humble pie eating time there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like I shoot two arrows, and the best part was there was a couple of guys sitting there watching while I was chewing this. One of the yeah. other um, guys was was helping somebody else shoot, and I shot these two arrows and started the other. It's like the guy says, "I never anybody do that." Uh, yeah, it's not my first one here. <laughs> I had another one earlier, you know, another time I got got one there when I worked at Cabela's, and right. uh, that was an interesting one. They had a, a Cabela's branded bow. And we get it set up and I shoot two shots, stick two arrows together. I can I do that all the time. Oh, no way. It's just one of those lucky things, you know. Um, and then we set up another guy, he put little five one-inch circles down there and hit four of the five. You set up for a third guy and he's hitting really good with it. And, and the um, uh, hunting manager comes back and says, oh, we need to pull them. They're having lots of problem with this bow. We had three of them. we only set one up. And I said, here, I just did this with it. Take a picture of that, send it to them. It's like, this is what the bow just did. I just stuck two arrows together with your bow that says you can't set them up. And I said, yeah. well, let us set up the other two and see if it might be just, this is a good one. So no, no, so pulled them all. And our first thought, Jonathan, I thought was like, well, they don't know what they're doing. You know, when you go to like Bass Pro, Cabela's, you know, yeah. X Shields, do you have a bow tech that knows anything? Um, or your salesman, do they know anything about archery? Might, might not. You might have somebody that really knows a lot about it. You know, I was fortunate. I worked at Bass Pro. There was four of us there. And probably between the four of us, we probably had 60 to 80 years experience between the four of us. You know, I had my own shop, like I worked at another shop and everything else. Um, and then when I went out to to Cabela's, I had more archery experience than everybody in the, the store combined. Um, I'm teaching the guy that's supposed to be in charge of the archery department, you know how to work on bows. And then one of the guys that used to work with it, um, at Bass Pro, he come out there. So now between the two of us, we had good knowledge about what to do and yeah. set things up. And then now neither one of us are there. So I like last time I was there, I think the person that I went in at one time and it's like, well, I applied for this other department, but they said they really need somebody in archery because there's nobody really in archery. And he says, well, I shot a bow when I was a kid. That's <laughs> oh, <laughs> the wow. extent of their knowledge. So you don't know, and that's why I always recommend it. You know, if you really want to get uh, somebody that knows what's going on, go to a pro shop. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you because know, you don't know. You know, if you're yeah, brand can... new, if you're brand new, go to a pro shop first because they're gonna know what's going on. Now, if you have a little more experience, you know, I've been shooting for a while. Now you can go in and you can find out real quick if they know anything about it because they're just not gonna know anything. Uh, yeah. So when I go in there, it's like I want to try out this release. This I just need to open up this. Nah. nah. I I just need to look out, try that release out. Then they have one of those uh, firing line things that you can draw them back and you can practice with them and and see, you know, it's not perfect, but at least you can feel how it shoots and like, okay, thanks. That's all I needed. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're like, I I think I forgot more about archery than what you know. So, but I don't tell it to them because, you know, that's, that's not, you know, I'm not there to make them look bad. I'm just, I don't need their help other than get a key out. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well.
1: I've enjoyed it. I hate to cut it short. I got oh. to get a nap for work because I work nighttime, 12-hour days. So.
0: Well, cut it short. We're actually an hour over what we normally do. It yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. seemed to go always a little bit longer. So, yeah. hey, um, yeah. what are your parting thoughts before you get out of here and then we'll let you go and we'll go on with our day?
1: Uh, I don't know. My parting thoughts would probably be, you know, especially somebody getting into archery is, you know, basically work on your foundation, your form first, worry about hitting the target later. Uh, That's, if I had to do it all over again, that would be the way I would do it instead of trying to get results. If a person's result oriented, they're going to have a hard time with archery because it's, there's a process that you need to follow to get those results. And if you can get that process down, it's like uh, Larry Bird, probably one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game worked on fundamentals. If he, if he had a good base of fundamentals, man couldn't jump but so high, but he had a good eye for the game of fundamentals. And that's what made him great. And even a lot of uh, present to uh, past basketball players talked about how good he really is. And if you want to be that good, work on your fundamentals. And that would be my advice. Is get your fundamentals down worry about results later because the results will come along with the good fundamentals. And uh, th- that what I would definitely suggest to do
0: it, and that's that's definitely you know what what I recommend doing as well as you know you need to get uh, the fundamentals down. Get yourself a good coach. you know i've I've helped lots of people teach so. Uh, a lot of people shoot. Uh, I've been teaching, you know, so like I said since 95. So, you know, anybody has any questions on it, you know, just get a hold of me. Uh, one thing to do is join the Arch Talk 101 Facebook group. Uh, there we have all, you know, a lot of content in there. A lot of archers that can help you out. If you have a problem, uh, take a video and upload it. Let us take a look at your video and see what what you're doing. We can all help you out. So thanks for being on the show. I really enjoyed talking with you.
1: It's a joy, real (laughs) pleasure talking with you.
0: That's that's why I like doing this. It's a lot of fun. And, and, you know, anybody interested in being a a guest on here, do you want to learn archery? You qualify. You know, somebody new, just anywhere from somebody new, just getting their first bow uh, to looking to get their first bow to uh, Olympic archer and professional archers. You you know, we talk to everybody. You know, that's the only quiet is like, we're going to talk archery. So if you want to talk archery, hey, come join us. We'd love to have you. My name is Roy Canterbury, and I've been the host today on Archery Talk 101. And we'll
2: see you on the next one.